Welcome to the Hope Revolution messages. You'll be able to find our sermon podcast at hoperevolution.church forward slash sermon, as well as all other podcast players. We hope you enjoy this message. I was just thinking as Tanya was praying, man, I have spent years in the Word and not, I don't have to say that to be tooting my own horn, but I'm privileged because mum and dad used to read us the Bible after dinner pretty much every night and, you know, I used to think, oh, here we go again, but being the age I am now, I'm so thankful for that because it just means I know the Word a little better than, you know, I would have if they hadn't have done that, so thanks mum and dad for, yeah, reading out the full Word. I remember you you guys didn't skip over anything and the passage that we're going to look at today is one of them crazy stories that I think as a parent you might just sometimes want to censor, but I'm really thankful that they didn't. It was interesting reading too as an eight-year-old sitting at the table thinking, oh, God just smited a couple of Christians in front of the church's eyes. What's going on there? So with that in mind, if you want to flick to Acts 4, we are in the tail end of 4. So if you were thinking 5, we are going to go into 5 today. So you were kind of right, and I think that... So last week, obviously, Pastor Elijah from Fiji preached on verses 23 through to 31, and I'd encourage you to go back and have a listen to that if you haven't already, because that sets up the context for where we are um, today. I'm going to talk a little bit about the context, though, so... Don't stress too much if you haven't listened to it. A bit of a summary of today's passage. We're going to go from 4 verse 32 through to 5, 11. So through to verse 11, just at the end of that little section there. Chapters and verses in the Bible were obviously kind of like early church leaders in position on the text. And so they're not always a great guide in in terms of where to stop and put the text down and then pick it up. And today's passage is a good example of that. Yeah, just in terms of the the context and the flow of the passage, it's actually better to read across the, the, the chapter diversion there across five. Because what God is really trying to teach us through this passage and what Luke is trying to convey through this passage is, is, a, is a contrast between two attitudes in the early church. So we've heard a lot about already about the, the inclusivity, the generosity, the selflessness of the early church. And, and that's, we get a bit more detail in, in the verses at the end of chapter four here. And then at the start of chapter five, we see the first kind of, you know, fallout in the church, in the early church. We see the enemy creeping in, trying to disrupt the good work that the Holy Spirit's been doing. And we see an attitude in Ananias and Sapphira, these two people that are are named, not of selflessness and radical generosity and, and inclusivity, but a selfish attitude that wants to take advantage of a situation and get glory for themselves. And so it's really important that we look at these two narratives together to understand as modern 21st century day Christians, how we're supposed to act. So we'll read through the passage and then I I just want to, I'm going to do a lot of teaching this morning because as with some of the crazy stories, it can be really easy to take away from these passages, kind of conclusions that might not be actually, you know, what God wants us to take away. And, you know, I don't want any of us to come away from this morning thinking that if we sin, God's going to, you know, just take us out, you know, at the end of the service. We don't need to be fearful of this. But we do need to take seriously the problem of sin and the problem of 
selfishness, of hypocrisy, and of, of being in it for our own good. So I don't want to play that down either. So Acts 4.32, I'm going to read from the ESV, so apologies if you're following along in a different translation. I always just close my eyes and listen if that's the case. My mind certainly can't jumble up and compare the different words. But if you're good at that, then that's fantastic. Go along with it. So now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And into 5 verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So just, just to immerse ourselves in the story, I just want to, you know, help you or encourage you to imagine we're a small church of about, you know, 30 odd this morning. Back in the early church, in the context of the time when this was written, the early church numbered about 20,000 is, is a good estimate of scholars. So something to be said for megachurches there, perhaps. There's one church. It's in Jerusalem. There's about 20,000 people. They're all from an incredibly diverse background because the Holy Spirit's come at a time when Jews from the diaspora, from across the Mediterranean, have come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. How incredible is God's timing? I didn't actually realise that until I started this, this week. He chose a time when, you know, people who were interested in seeking him and all gathered in Jerusalem for this festival, he chose to pour out his spirit and they heard the disciples speaking in the different tongues. And so there was many people who were living in different areas of Europe that were saved at that time. And that's why the church grew so quickly. So there's a massive church. There's people that have probably left their homes to move to Jerusalem to be in the fellowship because there's no other church, right? 
There's no, there's no church out in, you know, in, in Rome at this point. There's no church down the road at Ephesus. It's just Jerusalem. So if you want to be in the action, you've got to be in Jerusalem. So there's people who have stayed on in Jerusalem because they want to be part of what God's doing. Okay, so they've left potentially houses, food. There's a lot of need amongst the church at this point. And the community, the leaders, the apostles are grappling with how do we, how do we provide? There's poor people, there's rich people, there's people from all different socioeconomic backgrounds in the church. And so there's great need. So let's just imagine that, you know, there's revival that breaks out and we hope that happens, you know, and, and we have 20,000 people that, that rock up to church, right? And, you know, Pete and, and Soretta, they've got an extra piece of land. They sell it, they give the money so that, you know, Joe Blow can, can you know, rent a place to stay because this is the only place that the church is, right? And he wants to come along on Sunday and, and worship with God's people. And, and Pete and Jenny, you know, they've got a, they've got a Beamer, you know, have you still got that Beamer? No. Well, let's just imagine the Beamer's engine was actually top notch when you first bought it and it was worth a hundred grand. You sold that off, you know, bought the little, little Kia Rio instead and thought you'd drive around in that so you could be generous to, you know, Samantha who's just rocked up from, from the other state, from New South Wales, because she wants to be part of the action. There's generosity happening in the church. But then let's just imagine Daniel, he, he thinks, oh. This is interesting, there's people selling their possessions. They're getting a bit of respect. You know, we think Pete and Jenny and Peter and Soretta, they're doing a good thing. We think, oh man, they're so generous. Daniel goes, I want a bit of, bit of honour and glory myself. I want people to think that I'm all right. So Daniel, who happens to own the latest PS, have they got a PS6 out yet? I don't know, PS5, you know, it's worth a couple of grand, let's just say there's a bit of inflation. He goes, you know what I'll do? sell my PS5, I buy a PS4, I won't tell anyone about it, and then I'll bring all the money, I'll bring, I'll bring the money that's left over, because obviously there's a big difference between a PS4 and a PS5. Let, he brings the money to Matt, let's just imagine Matt's not his dad, bad example. <laughs> he says, I want to give this so that, you know, my mate Johnny can, you know, buy some food this week. Um, and not only does he just bring it to Matt, you know, he comes along to church expecting that, you know, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to announce a little bit. It's going to get announced that I helped Johnny out this week. And, you know, Lockie and Riley and, Ru and Ruby and Lola and, you know, Kate and Jeremy are going to think, oh, I'm a great person, you know. And Daniel's pretty confident. He walks in and he's expecting to, you know, get this praise from people. And instead of the praise, Matt says, Daniel, what did you do? Why is that PS4 sitting in your room? And Daniel just, the colour drains from his face and he realises he's been exposed. Daniel drops dead on the spot. Yeah. I know. I know. So just to give us a bit of a, you know, vibe for how that feels, it's maybe not exactly how it would have felt, but something similar to that. Ananias comes along and expects to get the glory and he, he winds up dead. Um, and the Christians are like, my goodness, what is God on about? Reading this today, 2000 years later, some of us are like, what is God on about? I thought you were loving God. Why did you do that? Let's jump back a bit and just work through the passage so that we can understand what's going on here. So as Verses 32 in chapter 4 through to 
the end of chapter four demonstrate, there is incredible generosity happening. People are literally selling their houses, which are appreciating assets. So some of us probably, I certainly re read this and think that's a pretty dodgy economic decision. Like, you know, there's plenty of other stuff that potentially you could sell um, that might not harm you as, as much economically. All right, but they're selling land, they're selling assets that are appreciating that will set them up for life potentially. They're putting themselves back 20, 30 years by selling their land and their houses just to provide for the material needs of the, this booming church. All right. So that's the, the first thing I want us to take away from this passage is that we need to be prepared if there's need amongst our brothers and sisters particularly we need to be prepared to give up what we have earned, what we have worked hard for, okay? The early church did it, and so we need to be prepared to do that as well. It's also important to recognise that some of the need would have also come from, you know, Christians that were ostracised from the Jewish community. We all know that, you know, the, the, the Jewish community even today has a very sophisticated economic system of interdependence, They've, they do very well economically. And so for Jews that had turned their back on Judaism and stepped into this you know, new Christianity, this religion following the ways of Jesus, they were not only you know, ostracizing themselves from friends and people who they used to sit down and eat meals with, they were also potentially cutting themselves off from a source of wealth and financial well-being. And so there was people that were in need because of the lack of, the disruption to their you know, depend, interdependence. And there was political rejection from the Romans because we know that obviously Christians weren't too attractive to the Romans at this time. They were proclaiming a king, a Messiah, Jesus, when the Romans were intent on you know, dominating the world um, under the name of Caesar. So there was dependence, there was, there was a fragility to this community and so there was a need to depend on each other financially. I think it's also important to note here that this willingness to give and be generous, it wasn't contrived of human motive. This was a move of the Holy Spirit, right? And so when we approach matters of need and giving, whether you're young or you're old, often I think we sit in church and we hear needs and we, we go, oh, I could give to that, you know, I could give to, you know, Jono going to America to hang out with the, you know, the homeless in San Francisco. We could give to, um, you know, the, the church in Fiji, but oh, I don't know what a wise investment is. We need, to, we need to make sure that we are giving from a generous heart. We are giving from a motive that is birthed by God, okay? Otherwise, we just become people that want to, you know, be seen by men or, or even just prop up a community. And, and that leads to just wanting to, in its worst form, it can lead to systems of, you know, politics such as communism that just want an equal society. But the goal for us is actually proclaiming the good news of Jesus. It's not about having an equal society. Sure, that should be a natural result of serving the Lord and acknowledging Jesus' lordship as a church. But that is not our goal. Equality is not our goal. The lordship of Jesus 
and spreading the good news that he has come to save us spiritually and to give us eternal life. That is the goal, okay? So do not carry guilt, church, all right? Do not carry guilt. Come to God with the tension of how much do I give? How do I do this healthily, all right? How do we help everyone be, you know, equal? It's not as important as spreading the good news, okay? But this was a natural result. The church was so full of joy that when they saw the needs, they were like, God's given me so much. I want to share this, okay? It's a natural result. It wasn't a human effort, all right? It was a, it was a work of the Holy Spirit, and we want that in our midst as well. So jumping into the end of chapter four, Barnabas. Let's have a quick look at Barnabas. Why is Barnabas mentioned here? I might just read quickly. So four verse 36. Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. So he had two names. Joseph was probably his Jewish name. Barnabas might have been his kind of Cypriot name. Means son of encouragement. A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Seems a bit random, doesn't it, that we would need a, the note of an individual, given that we know that the church has been buying and selling land. But Barnabas is actually a real key character to the narrative of, of Acts, so Luke obviously takes the opportunity to introduce him here. But I think Barnabas is also mentioned as a, as a prime example of, of what we as believers, the attitude of generosity that we should have. So it mentions that Barnabas is from Cyprus, which is a really nice place. It also mentions that Barnabas has kind of like a dual citizenship. He's Jewish, but he's also got Cypriot heritage. So he's got a few things going for him here. He's a dual citizen. He's from a really nice place. He owns a piece of land in a very nice place. Cyprus is known for having, you know, incredible olive groves and being able to produce really good olive oil. Um, maybe he had a few olive trees on his, on his plot of land. So Luke's emphasising here that this isn't just, you know, somebody who's just sold, you know, their depreciating beamer. <laughs> He's got a very valuable thing here and he has, from an honest heart, given up something that was very valuable, Okay. According to church tradition, Barnabas was martyred for his faith as well. I, don't, I can't remember the exact story, but Barnabas is clearly someone who is quite well-to-do, has given up a life of potentially worldly success and comfort because his heart's been gripped by the gospel. Jesus came, was died. He's shown how I can have eternal life, how others can have eternal life. And Barnabas becomes a very key missionary in the early church and ends up getting killed for his faith. Imagine a Roman looking at Barnabas. Imagine maybe a Jew looking at Barnabas thinking, man, you had it all. You were doing so well, you threw it all away. But he didn't. We know he didn't. He invested his efforts in something that was not material, that did not fade away, that lasted forever. Okay? Even though people look at us sometimes and say, oh, why did you give away that money? Seems a bit ridiculous. Why did you pass up that job? You could have been earning that much money and respect. 
you know, people struggle to understand sometimes the sacrifices that we make for the gospel, but we know that there is a long history of individuals who have done the same. And we are, we are acting wisely, we are acting in good faith, we are acting with good evidence behind us when we give up our pleasures, our comforts, our benefits in a worldly sense for the kingdom of God. All right, church? And young people, I particularly want to encourage you guys. You're at a time of life where you are, you know, choosing careers, thinking about who am I going to be in the future? What are my priorities going to be? A number of you, I've had the privilege of spending a lot of time with you over the last, you know, six to seven years. And I can tell you, a number of you have incredibly smart brains on your heads. My parents might be thinking, oh, they need a bit of maturity. <laughs> Perhaps that's the case. But a lot of you guys have an incredible, you're incredibly smart and you've got, you're, you're miles ahead of your peers. All right, I work in a public high school, so I feel like I can say that. I believe that a number of you could go on to have extremely successful careers and a lot of money, live a very comfortable life. But I also believe that God is calling you to sacrifice some of that for the kingdom of God, for eternal life, for the, you know, for the good of the church, for the good of people that you don't know yet that need to know Jesus, that are dying because they don't know the hope of God. Okay? I'll just leave that with you this morning. I want to encourage you to think about that. If you're um, under the age of 18-ish, I would say 22. That's a better age. I feel a bit old when I start saying that because I used to be young. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Appreciate that. So be generous and don't, don't pass up opportunities when you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you to give, give, all right? And when you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you to prioritise the kingdom over setting up your own little empire, your own little kingdom here on earth, follow the Holy Spirit's prompting. Okay, guys, let's keep doing that. And I know adults, I'm sure that that relates to us as well because, yeah, we all have plenty of assets. Okay, let's move into chapter five. Ananias and Sapphira. So... The other benefit of having Barnabas introduced here is we can, you know, contrast his heart's posture. Notice that he has given up a lot genuinely for the kingdom. And we see the, the evidence of that working out through the rest of his life. He didn't, he wasn't faking it, all right? You know, you don't die for your faith if you're faking it. We get to contrast this with the example of Ananias and Sapphira. And as I said before, they've noticed that there's a thing happening in the church. People are being radically generous and probably getting a bit of honour and admiration for it, and they want in. They want a bit of respect themselves. They want a bit of honour. Why did God deal so harshly with them? Um, I don't know about you, but I ask that every time I read this passage, I think, oh God, couldn't you have just have like asked Peter to ostracise them from the community or something like that? Did you really have to murder them? Um, I was listening to a sermon by John MacArthur this week and he notes that it's a very interesting church growth strategy to murder your followers whilst the church is growing and people are kind of still making decisions about whether they want in or not. Interesting church growth strategy, yeah. But the church continues to grow and so we see evidence here that sometimes God takes drastic action that we think is pretty intense and it 
doesn't kill what God's doing because God is a God of righteousness. And if we are people that want righteousness, we're actually going to take this event as a comforting event. See, the early church was kind of like an infant baby. It had just been born. And just like parents take extra effort and what we might consider if they were doing it with a teenager to be radical efforts to protect this baby, you know, not taking them out to family gatherings where somebody might have a cold, etc. That sounds a bit stupid if, you, if, if mum and dad are protecting Asher, if they're not taking him along to our Christmas gathering because my cousin has a cold. That sounds a bit extreme, yeah? But back when I was an infant and there's the flu going around my family, mum and dad are perfectly, acting perfectly reasonably in holding me at home because that sickness has the potential to significantly damage me as an infant, okay? And what was happening here was that the enemy was trying to get in inside the church because he tried persecuting the church from the outside and it hadn't worked. The apostles were praising God. People were hearing the gospel being preached. The church was growing. So the enemy's thinking, hang on a second, this isn't working. I'm, I'm trying to persecute the church from outside. What about if I get inside and try and disrupt and disunify and make it all messy? That might work. And he, and he almost... He almost got there. Ananias and Sapphira were, and, and Peter attributes their motive to Satan, which is pretty intense. He gets in the mind of Ananias and Sapphira. He says, you could, you could get some respect here. You could get some followers here. You might even, I, I'm making this up, but maybe he was saying, you could even start your own breakaway church here. You could, you could lead. All right. Just, you know, go and sell that piece of land. I know you, I know you don't want to, you know, hold on to some of the money. It's all right. Tell Peter that you've, you've given them all the money. Oh, that's a good idea. There were many, many vulnerable believers that could have easily been led astray by Ananias and Sapphira's deception and hypocrisy. And so God, by revealing to Peter Evidence seems to suggest that Peter probably didn't know from you know, his own human knowledge. Sure, he could have been checking the accounts. <laughs> Don't know as an early church leader whether you have time for that, given that you've got lots of believers joining the church and probably so many other problems to deal with. But either way, Peter knows the truth of this situation, declares that Ananias and Sapphira are going to drop dead and God honours that. He protects his church in a radical way and members of the church that probably may have been tempted to think along the same lines of Ananias and Sapphira see that God is serious about his church. He's going to protect his church. He is not going to let any hypocrisy or selfish ambition destroy what is happening here. So they leave the church, you know, oh, nothing to see here. And young believers who might be led astray say, hang on a second, God's going to protect me. Yeah. And also, I've got to be careful as a, as, a, as a believer in this church that the people that I'm following have got honest motives, okay? And I can trust the apostles, <laughs> you know? Peter, Peter was, oh, I think that was incredibly brave. I, 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 I doubt that any of us would be able to say that we would have confidence to, you know, if we knew that somebody had done the wrong thing, ask the Lord to, to kill them. 
So we see an incredibly courageous apostle here as well. Just jumping down to verse 11, the impact on the church. I talked a bit before about, you know, it being an interesting growth, growth strategy and having the potential to turn people away. Great fear came upon the whole church and all who heard of these things. And I'm actually cheating a little bit. I'm going to jump down to the next passage just to steal a little idea. Sorry, whoever's preaching next week. Verse 13. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So there's, an, there's a response outside the church of, oh my goodness, there's something serious happening here. I don't want to actually get mixed up in this. <laughs> Maybe because they were intimidated because they were more concerned about, you know, their wealth, their comfortable lifestyle. They realised that God was serious. He was wanting and expecting people to live radically. But it also says that they were held in high, high esteem. And so there is, a, there is a healthy respect in Jerusalem for the Christians. And there's also an incredible unity as well uh, that we see continue to flow. So we see that God knew what he was doing, even though it seems a bit intense to us. He didn't let Ananias and Sapphira get away with it. He didn't let the enemy, this is probably the more important point, he didn't let the enemy get away with his attempt to disrupt what the Lord was doing in the church. And that is incredibly reassuring. God will always protect a remnant when he is genuinely moving in a church. Unfortunately, even in my few short years, I have seen incredible deception come into various churches. I've witnessed from friends, Unfortunately, even sometimes in this church, there've been people with ill motives that the, I, I'm convinced that the enemy has been trying to use to sow discord and deception. And that breaks my heart to say that. But unfortunately, I've seen it several times. But you know what I've also seen? I've seen God raise up individuals. Every person that's been lost from this church as a result of disunity and deception, God has filled the gap. I've seen him working in the sidelines, you know, in people that I, I didn't expect to see, you know, raised up. And I've thought, oh God, thank you. You're doing a new thing. Even when the enemy has disrupted and made things messy, God is still working, yeah. all right? Yeah. We don't need to be discouraged when we see the enemy working. The Lord will preserve his purposes. He will establish his plans. I'd also just like to note that, very interestingly, scholars aren't convinced that Ananias and Sapphira were actually false Christians. Um, this is potentially a matter for contention, but from what I've read, it seems like there's no evidence to suggest that they weren't, that they were actually genuine Christians. And this suggests that even though we might belong to the Lord, we can still come under the influence of the enemy. And this is a sobering thought. This is something that we, really, we need to take really seriously, church. And that is that, as Peter writes, the enemy is like a devouring lion. He's prowling around seeking to destroy us. And even though we belong to the Lord, even though we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, we need to be on guard, okay? And this morning, I want to just provide an opportunity for you to consider, for us to consider ourselves and our heart motives, all right? I don't actually think that there's anyone here that's planning on, you know, taking over the church and trying to 
puff themselves up and get admiration and praise for them themselves. I actually believe that everyone here is has a pure heart and wants to be here to either grow in their relationship with God or contribute to the kingdom and what God is doing here. However, I know because I experienced this from time to time, we experience that selfish motive or we just want to live that comfortable lifestyle. We don't want to give generously. We don't want to take care of our brother and sister's needs. And so I just want to present us an opportunity this morning just to spend a few moments just asking God, hey, is there anything in my heart that the enemy might be trying to do in order to tear me down and sow discord amongst the church that I am a part of, the group of people that I am committed to? Okay, so yeah, I just want to give us like a couple of minutes just to, to quietly sit and just commune with God about that and ask that, that question of ourselves. How's my heart this morning? Is there any hypocrisy? Is there any selfish ambition? Is there any deceit? And then I'll pray for us. Lord, we want to thank you for your spirit. We thank you for protecting the work that you've been doing in the church for the last 2,000 years. And yeah, sometimes you have to take drastic action, Father, to, to protect that. But we thank you that you've done that for our sakes and for the sakes of our families and our friends that, that believe you and follow you. Lord, this morning we just want to offer up our hearts and ask that afresh you would cleanse them, God, that you would just root out um, any motives that are not of you. God, I want to thank you that we as Christians have committed to something that is beyond this world, both in terms of its um, spiritual nature, but also in terms of the joy, the, the importance, the fulfilment. God, there's nothing like being a representative of the kingdom of light, being able to bring light into dark places. Father, being able to be your hands and feet, being able to spread the good news and, and assure people um, that they can have freedom in you. God, continue to help us, I pray to seek for that. Lord, I thank you for each and every heart here this morning and I thank you for the hunger that there is to expand your kingdom and I pray that you would multiply it in our midst, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Just want to finish with reading some scripture just in that vein of you know, wanting to focus on the, the good news. It's a sobering story that we've just read. Um, but the reality is that if we stay on track and, and the, as the Holy Spirit continues to guide us, um, there's incredible stuff that happens. I just want to read from Philippians 2, 
verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my beloved, this is Paul writing to the Philippian church, but we can take these words to heart as well. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but so much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run on vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And I want us to conclude there. I want us to be glad and rejoice this morning. We are a people who've been saved. We're a people who are expecting the return of Jesus where Every evil is going to be done away with eternally and we are going to be able to live in the new kingdom, the new Jerusalem, the new earth, um, where every tear will be wiped away from our face. There'll be no more pain, no more sin, no more of the stuff that we wrestle with and struggle with because we're humans. We're looking forward to that day. There's a hope that won't fade away. So be bold this week. Focus on that hope. Don't let the enemy soil your heart with those selfish ambitions. Bring them to God, okay? There's nothing wrong with wrestling with God in prayer and saying, oh, I'm really feeling selfish. I really want to hang on to this money even though I know you're wanting me to give this. Wrestle with God in prayer. Share with someone that you trust. Say, I'm wrestling with this. I'm struggling. I don't want to be like Ananias and Sapphira. I want to be like Barnabas. All right? There's no shame in wrestling because we all wrestle with that, Okay? We want to chop the head off that sin. We don't want to let it fester to the point where we damage others, we hurt others and we hurt ourselves, okay? So this week as you go out, be honest with yourselves and with others, be honest with God and look forward to the hope we have and look out for opportunities to bless each other. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or feedback, please email us at hello at hoperevolution.church.